Strategy and Insider, exploring future trends and their impacts. Welcome to the third episode of our Strategy and Insider podcast, where we discuss future trends and developments in the healthcare and the pharmaceutical sector. We do talk to industry experts and executives from across different sectors to provide insights on the most pressing issues and also arising opportunities as healthcare actually is evolving into a fundamentally different future. My name is Thomas Solbach and I'm a partner at StrategyEnt and the host of the first season of this podcast. And in our last episode, we talked about bioinformatics and its impact on data-driven healthcare, touching elements around data interoperability and, and required standards. And ultimately, we did conclude in the end that the future of health will belong to those players that will best combine the traditional world and the traditional capabilities from the highly regulated healthcare markets together with the fast-paced development and the unprecedented customer-centric approach from technology players. So the race is open and um, the future will be written by potentially those players. And after having spoken to a clinician in the first episode, to an academic expert in the bioinformatic in the second episode, I'm very honored and super thrilled to be joined today by one of Biopharma's leading industry professional, talking about Teresa Graham, who is the head of global product strategy at Roche Pharma and recently transitioned from the Bay Area to Europe. And Teresa has been working for Roche since 2005, has held a number of marketing, lifecycle management, and also access leadership positions. And before coming here, Teresa actually has been the VP for bio-oncology and the VP for rheumatology at Genentech, which is the US subsidiary of Roche. So Teresa... Very warm welcome and a big, big thank you for joining here today. Thank you for having me. This is uh, an important conversation and I'm honored to be a part of it. Teresa, so before jumping into any of the content that we will discuss around the, the future of healthcare, could you please let us know what, what personally drives you and, and also what your current job is about? Because uh, the head of global product strategy at Roche, what does it actually entail? Sure. Um, so what personally drives me is really easy. I think like so many of the folks who are listening to this podcast, my life has been personally touched in negative ways by very serious diseases, whether that's cancer, multiple sclerosis, um, Alzheimer's. Um, I think we all have a long history uh, in all of our families of people who we fundamentally believe had they lived in today's world would have had a very different outcome um, for, for their path. And I am very committed to making sure that other families have a very different, uh, a different journey than, than my own has had. Um, Thanks for sharing. Uh, so you're right. What does the head of global product strategy do? A question I, I got from all of my nephews when I saw <laughs> them a few weeks ago. Um, so global product strategy is part of the pharma uh, arm of the Roche Group. And we are the organization that is responsible for setting overall global pharma strategy for our portfolio of products across all of our different therapeutic areas. Um, we also have significant responsibility for working with our product development and our early research folks to help think about ways that new 
new therapies can actually be introduced most appropriately into the clinic and then ultimately into the marketplace. So we span the entire life cycle of our products, and we have the opportunity to touch every aspect of drug development and drug commercialization, not only within pharma, but in many cases across the Roche Group, working with our partners at Flatiron Foundation um, and, and others. Super. So really kind of the spider in the net also touching a lot of the functions within the Roche exactly. Pharma as well as the broader group. Exactly. Uh-huh. The way I like to think of us is we're sort of, um, we're, we're sort of the neural net yeah. that keeps Roche together. And it's really our job to build the bridges in between all of the different, the different nodes and making sure that all of that data and insight turns into actionable information that can ultimately help patients. And that picture of the neural network is actually a very good one to, to have in mind. So thanks for explaining what, what personally drives you, but also what, what makes your daily job um, yeah, interesting and, and, and challenging at the same time, I can imagine. So you, you came actually here being born at the West Coast? Uh, sorry, East, East Coast. Coast. Going yeah. to the West Coast, mm-hmm. uh, living in the Bay Area for, for quite a while. Yes. Now tr- relocating to Switzerland, to Europe. Mm-hmm. How, how does it feel for the time being? You're only here for a couple of weeks. Any... Any highlights already? Did you accommodate already? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I would not say that I am uh, quite yet a professional Bosler. Um, I have been here long enough to make every basic mistake that a new new Basel resident makes. Okay. Um, Note to anyone coming to Basel, weigh your fruit at the the grocery (laughs) store or you will get a lot of dirty looks when you try and check out. You know, I have to say, in my previous roles, I have spent a lot of time in Basel, and I've okay. spent a lot of time in Switzerland in general. I, I love the people. I love the pace of life here. Um, and my husband and I are really excited for the time that we'll spend here and for the memories that we'll create. So I think we're, we're really looking forward to packing everything up into the container, getting over here, um, and, and really starting the next chapter of our lives. And you, you just recently relocated beginning of August, I guess, right? Uh, yeah. So I've been in my role now for a few months, but I sort of just landed here, here physically. Uh, physically in August. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Super. And uh, yeah, on that note, we, as you know, mm-hmm. did run a, a Future of Health survey and, and interview round and, and published that and summed that up in a, in a Future of Health viewpoint. And in that, we found that basically the vast majority uh, of the biopharma top executives, namely 96%, do actually to a larger degree or entirely agree uh, that the future of health will be people-driven, that it will be way more personalized, both in ways of treating, Mm -hmm. diagnosing, but also preventing a disease, will be digital, Mm -hmm. and it will be way more seamlessly integrated into everyday life of us. Um, Meriting, of course, that we need to have new organizational business and also regulatory models for that. Um, Having said that, what is your personal perspective on that potential future of health? So I would be one of the 96 people or 96% of people okay. who, who agree that this yeah. is the direction that our industry is going, I might, um, I might challenge the order. So I really think that this idea of digital, and I usually air quote digital yeah. when, when we talk about it, because digital is really, to me, the marriage of technology and data. Mm-hmm. And, and those two things, I think, are going to have to be foundational, and we're going to have to get those right in order for any of the other things to happen. Um, Let's talk first quickly about data. So if you think about oncology, 96% of clinical data that's gathered in oncology is untapped. Yeah. Um, we, as traditional pharma, have typically only concentrated on the about 4% that's available through our clinical trial studies. Um, that's a tremendous amount of raw data that could be used to generate insights that will not only 
uh, fuel different kinds of drug development, but we'll make it faster, we'll make it more targeted, will allow us to both succeed and fail more rapidly, to make the entire system more efficient. Um, it will help us diagnose patients better, treat patients better, and, and just ultimately really fundamentally change the way outcomes are delivered. Um, I think we also tend to love to talk about big data. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're Google or Amazon, you're dealing with billions of lines of data set. Um, And pharma, sometimes you're lucky if you get a couple hundred thousand patients in your database. Uh, That would be an amazing data set for us. But in many of these rare cancers, you're talking about thousands, if not hundreds of lines of data. And so really thinking differently about how we collect our data, how we get that sort of put into a way that's actually actionable for us to do something with. And that's really where technology comes in. Um, The ability of AI or uh, diagnostics or something to actually, algorithms to actually do something with that data to, again, provide the insight where we can actually move forward. And then eventually, when we start talking about moving those out of the clinic and into patients' hands to where they themselves have the opportunity to do more to monitor their health on a daily basis. And and this will be basically here talking about more the the Western world, the, the more democratic world, uh, um, this will most likely be in our hands, right? The hands of society and hands of people having access to that data. And uh, to a large extent, yes, it is health mm-hmm. and treatment related data. But when we talk about early diagnostics or even prevention, mm-hmm. we talk a lot about lifestyle data yep. that is even further dispersed across the sources, uh, no standards, interoperability being a problem. I guess this this is where technology can and, and must help if we want to succeed the year. Absolutely. The one, the one thing I might suggest, though, is I'm not sure that this is just about the Western world. Um, in many cases, we're actually having to retrofit very deeply embedded systems to make this work. Whereas if you go to other parts of the world um, who are now starting to build their healthcare systems from scratch, these are the healthcare systems that they're building, which actually presents a really interesting opportunity to to partner and really do something differently from the outset in these countries. No, absolutely. And I, I very recently came across um, an Indian example of how you can also use technology already today to make a true difference to patients in need. Yeah? Talking about uh, an institution called Karma Healthcare, uh, running quite a series of, of hospitals, especially in rural mm-hmm. areas of India. And they have an end-to-end chain of e-doctors where you can meet in rural mm-hmm. settings, an e-doctor, where you get a diagnosis uh, decentralized, where you get a prescription mm-hmm. decentralized, get that electronically, and even getting a dispensing by mm-hmm. the pharmacist without seeing any healthcare professional being a doctor in that case um, at all yeah. right and, and all digitally enabled all telemedicine enabled mm-hmm. this is the this is where where we are looking at and yes i'm totally with you not only the western world yeah. is marching there Absolutely. so it's going to be interesting where we see the leapfrog innovation then at the end it, it really will and i think honestly one of the things that i get excited about given the global scope scope and scale of roche is that we do have the chance to actually see some of that innovation firsthand yeah. uh, within our different affiliates and and we're always sort of on the lookout for um, those countries that are truly able to make a difference and do something really innovative and then think about how we might be able to share that with other parts of the world that would also benefit. That brings also the benefit in of your global scale, right? Exactly and, right. and scope. So, um, and thanks for sharing your personal perspective on that. And I know that Rosh is also 
very committed and, and outspoken about the ambition to advance personalized healthcare. What's what's the big promise? What's your big belief behind that? And will we actually see on a more broader scale a one pill fits one person in, in future? And I think Roche has, has long made a very vocal statement that we believe that meaningful data at scale will dramatically increase our understanding of the biology of disease, how to successfully um, develop in, in, a, in a more targeted, rapid, cost-efficient way that will ultimately deliver better outcomes to patients. And you've seen that in every acquisition that we've made. You've seen it in the way that we're approaching drug development. And I, I do think every day we get a little bit closer to that idea of delivering the right drug to the right patient at the right time. Now, what that looks like is going to look really different. You know, it may not be one pill to one patient. You know, gene therapy might be the thing that enable, enables us to deliver a cure. Yeah. For patients. Um, or it could be identifying the exact right combination to target the, the for disease the very patient. for that exact right mm. patient. Um, I mean, unfortunately, right now, the vast majority of patients who undergo genetic testing have no actionable mutation. And I think that's really the challenge for us as pharma is to think about how we take all of that data that we're collecting right now about all of those different actionable mutations. How can we use that to prospectively identify targets um, and really figure out different ways through chemistry, through uh, different modalities to actually target those genes in ways that are going to be cost-effective to the healthcare systems. And ultimately, that means we need to see a convergence of different data sets at meaningful scale, of mm -hmm. course, uh, coming together mm -hmm. and being... Uh, combined being interpreted as as a whole and then drawing conclusions upon that. Uh, I guess that, however, takes some sort of a stamina to get there, right? It's not something that you get uh, with a glimpse of your uh, of a second. Uh. It does not happen overnight. Yeah. And I think for, uh, for particularly for companies like ours that are large, you know, they're they're spread across multiple uh, multiple lines of business, um, creating those opportunities, those real moments of clarity where we realize we have something that we can all work together on that's yeah. going to further the science and really further the innovation. Um, that's where I get excited for my role, because I think that's very much uh, part of what we do, identifying those synergies across the, different, um, across the different parts. But it's not easy. And I think we've really had to adjust how we think about going about our day-to-day -day business, not only to break down those silos across the different parts of our organizations, but also to think really differently about how we approach the outside world, um, who itself is not necessarily always 100% ready for this this kind of advancement. And that's interesting. And, and I'd love to come back to that readiness of the system in a couple of minutes, uh, probably. But the, you mentioned one thing, uh, which is uh, development and mm -hmm. research and how innovation is done. As we had for decades long, uh, a research that, that was focused on let's call it illness-curing drugs, mm -hmm. yeah? Will we see more of a shift um, in the coming, coming years towards health preserving therapies? So I think that's a really great question. And I think it's certainly on, on a lot of the minds of, of people both in the industry and those that watch the industry is when's that shift going to happen? I mean, the reality is right now, the need for medicines and cures remains acute. Um, of the 7,000 rare diseases that, that we know exist today, less than 5% have any kind of actionable therapy. So there are still a tremendous amazing, amount yeah. of patients who are in need. Um, almost 10 million people still die every year from cancer, um, according to the World Health Organization. And then we think about um, really significant degenerative diseases for which we've, we've been able to make no progress, um, Alzheimer's, um, you know, being, being a prominent one. Um, 
And then, you know, an area where we just don't see a lot of development happening, unfortunately, is, you know, in multi-resistant uh, bacterias and 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 and, and what are we doing in sort yeah. of the anti-infective space, yeah. which probably poses one of the biggest global health threats out there. If we take the whole globe, absolutely, yeah. Exactly. So, you know, I think that the need to continue to treat is certainly still there. Um, the, the desire to cure is our goal. And I think the, the, the hope that we can prevent is ultimately where we'd like to go in the future. Um, but it is a journey. And I think there's, there's a lot of things that we need to do to bring all of these pieces together. Um, you know, we are very lucky to have a very uh, dynamic diagnostics organization. And we continue to make a lot of investments in into that part of our um, into that part of the, the enterprise. Um, but thinking about that in partnership with all of the the digital and informational systems. Um, I think that's really what's going to help us progress along that continuum from treating to curing to preventing. And I think the mean to getting that, right, what you're just saying, will basically come from a proper understanding of uh, why people stay healthy, mm -hmm. why they have an onset of a disease, Absolutely. why they are getting disease, why they mm -hmm. are reacting to a certain drug or not, and yep. why they have a recovery or not and, and a cure or not. I mean, understanding this will ultimately make the difference of, of diagnosing and preventing mm -hmm. in future much earlier and much better. Absolutely. And what's going to enable that to happen is when our electronic health systems are truly interconnected. Yeah. Um, and, and I think this is when we start to get into real issues around patient privacy and, and patient data. And, um, you know, I, I think that's such a big topic right now in our industry. And, and I think as... As a pharmaceutical company, we sit in an incredibly privileged position. Mm -hmm. We sit between a patient who's just probably heard some of the most devastating news they'll ever hear and a physician who has to make a really important treatment decision. And it is my personal belief that we owe the space in which we operate the highest level of integrity 110% of the time. And, and I think that's been Roche's philosophy uh, forever. It's really in our DNA. Yeah. And last time, uh, you know that I spoke to Torsten Schweder, who's a bioinformatician, and we also concluded that access uh, to large sets of data that include EHR data to advance science, to advance uh, development is, is absolutely necessary Very to cool. advance healthcare. And that is also something that we do owe to patients mm -hmm. at the end of the day. And quite interestingly, we as an organization a couple of months back did run a survey amongst the German society asking a representative set uh, um, of people whether they would be willing to give access for science, for developing new therapies um, to their data. And they were super open. I was stunned uh, by the fact that more than 70% per se were absolutely open. And if you would have asked the same 30%, more or less, yeah, that would have said, no, I'm not open. And you ask them the question, so just imagine if you were sick, seriously sick, would you then be able and willing to share it? And they, they absolutely said yes. Yeah. Yeah? So that... Data privacy is super important to keep in mind and, and, and to honor as much as we can. At the same time, data privacy is also a good of the healthy people, right? Yep. Sometimes we do owe our patients mm -hmm. help. Exactly yeah? right. And, and, and that is built on that. Taking that a step further, because you did say meaningful data at scale will be also a mean to advance that science further and bring healthcare to the next level. You made also some 
prominent moves in the past, also venturing via M&A, via, mm-hmm. via partnering, via own developments mm-hmm. into that digital health space and the digital data space. Can you just share what you personally think what, what the big hopes are and the challenges and what, what what's it feel like? The, the best word that I can use to describe it is it feels really exciting. Um, you know, I really feel like, you know, I, I, I have the, the privilege to work for a company that's been around for more than 100 years. Yeah. And I feel like the work that we're doing today is the work that's going to set us up for the next 100 years, that we're really at this moment of sea change in our industry, where how we've done things in the past isn't going to be how we're going to be able to do things in the future, just based solely on the rapid rate of change, the rapid rate of uh, new understanding around the biology of our diseases, um, how technology is evolving, how our societies are evolving, how our financial systems are evolving. Um, we are going to need to really fundamentally change how we deliver, uh, how, how we deliver to, um, to our patients. Yeah. And I think that the, the acquisitions and the strategic moves that Roche has made have really set us up to uniquely be able to do this. Um, to really begin to meaningfully connect the dots between identifying a target and bringing that all the way to helping a patient live a profoundly different life than the one they did before. Um, And I can't feel anything other than incredibly jazzed to get up in the morning every day and and go to work and really feel like I and the people that I work with um, are fundamentally having the opportunity to affect what I hope will be generations of people. Let me probe onto that a little because uh, it has tremendous opportunities, challenges, not to not mention <laughs> it. Of course, it's it's tons of it. But at the same time, you, you are now competing in a different world, right? You're competing with different players other than um, the, the big pharma players, the big diagnostics players that you've always been around with in the past. Looking at a very recent announcement, the end of July 2019, uh, where Cerna and Amazon announced that they want to combine um, and use their combined uh, AI and machine learning capabilities, reading out uh, mm-hmm. the EHRs that they have access to, yep. generating insights and uh, working on things like the, the interoperability, the data shareability, driving down costs and, and increasing outcomes. I mean, now you're in a game with the tax as well, and uh, again, referring back to the to, to the study that mm-hmm. we made, the pharma industry clearly sees the tech industry across everything ahead of the curve mm-hmm. uh, of other players. What's your perspective on that when it comes to data and digitally driven healthcare? Yeah, so I think we have to we ha- we have to be maybe a little cautious here, right? So companies like Google, Amazon, IBM, they're great at digitizing and analyzing data. That is their bread and butter. And they've 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 done a wonderful job of pushing the science of big data forward. Um, they are a tremendous enabler of things that can be solved by algorithms. Mm-hmm. What we do is a little different than that. Science is as much an art as it is a science. Drug development is as much an art as it is a science. And what these companies miss, I think, is the deep medical knowledge and understanding of how you truly bring a therapy into clinical practice and what that looks like um, that is really quite critical to um, ultimately being successful. Now, that having been said, I think there are tremendous opportunities for partnerships between our industries to bring together the things that make both of us strong um, to get to that sort of shared vision of the future. But there are things that are very valuable and not easy to learn. 
um, and that I think the tech companies will find it very difficult to build that base level of expertise quickly. Um, and so, you know, I, I have a, um, an appreciation for what they're doing to move the science forward um, and also a f- firmly held belief that we will be part of that future. Personally, no doubt on that, uh, quite honestly. And uh, you referenced the the medical knowledge and the market access knowledge and also you being globally present in any of the markets, having access to any of the decision makers there as well and having trust built since decades and decades. Mm -hmm. uh, That is clearly something that is on the the positive side of pharma. Now, looking a little further into what characterizes the tech, how do you see other elements in that digitized data-enabled world of the future where we talk about rapid cycle Mm -hmm. innovation um, beyond the 12 years development cycle of a drug, um, where we talk about entrepreneurship of people making quick decisions now in order to have an MVP in three months from now Mm -hmm. and and data analytics uh, that are unprecedented. I mean, what, what do you think about that? And is there anything that if you could choose to borrow from these companies that you would think this is something that pharma industry would would benefit from and get an advancement from? So I do actually think the culture of those organizations okay. has quite a bit to teach us. Um, now, there, there's a rapid iteration that's possible in tech that mm-hmm. can happen because of the nature of what they do. Our world is slightly different. We maybe can't get down to totally launching an app every every three months. It would be great if we could. Um, But I think the idea of, you know, flexible teams who come together to solve problems, uh, teams that are really singularly focused on breaking down a barrier and moving something forward, a culture where people aren't afraid to, um, to try something new to sort of to fail fast in the right way so that they're moving learning forward. I think those are really important things that we as as pharma can take from the tech organizations. And I do think it's part of the reason that it's hard for us to work together sometimes. You know, they they sort of see these big lumbering engines um, that are very used to cycles, as you said, that take 12 or 15 years from, you know, the first time you hit on a target to when you actually might have a drug approval. And it's really hard for them to think about how they would operate in such an environment. You know, over the course of the last two years, both Roche and Genentech have been undergoing a significant transformation within our organization to really think about how we work differently, to really think about how we can accelerate our decision-making cycles, put uh, decisions in the hands of the people who know best how to make them, to more rapidly iterate in ways that are responsible and move the science forward more quickly so that we get to the best result faster. I think we're on a journey. We're not quite there yet, but we make uh, we make progress every day. And I think if if we can take more of that innovative spirit and that ability to be bold and move move a little bit more quickly, um, and and we can get uh, in, into partnerships that allow us to kind of combine the best of both worlds, I think that's where we're going to really that's really frankly where we're going to see the magic happen. Yeah, and a hundred percent with you on that. And also, last time we did conclude only that company organization or whoever is out there or will be out there combining the good things from the They're from both. the traditional and and the the more tech driven world will be a winning one right um, otherwise we're we're just seeing more the one or the other side mm-hmm. yeah. um now talking about advancing into that future and whether it's the tax or whether it's the more traditional farmers or any of the other traditional mm-hmm. healthcare players no matter what there is always also a system yep. to take along. Mm-hmm. And you referenced that earlier. There is always a regulator that has to have a word on what's 
put on the market, what's the yeah. price for that? Because mm -hmm. otherwise we're going to end up spending without having control of it. I don't think this is ever going to, to get away. Yeah. So where do you see that system preparedness for making this change happen? You know, I think what's unfortunate is that fundamentally the world's healthcare systems today, for the most part, were designed to take care of sick people. Yeah. They're, they're really designed to, to capture someone who's ill and find a way to treat them. And unfortunately, many of our systems are set up to treat people for not that long. Um, and in many, in, in, until fairly recently, our most serious diseases had very short lifespans, very high especially mortality, in oncology, we're especially in, in oncology. Mm -hmm. So when you think about a system that now has to think very differently about when they might actually identify someone with disease at a much earlier stage, you know, in many cases, hopefully before they're symptomatic. And when someone is identified and is able to get treatment that is now going to keep them alive, not for five or six or 10 months, but for five or 10 years with a very different level of healthcare, that's, that's very different than what most of our systems today are really set up to do. Um, and I think one of the challenges that we as, as pharma face, along with tech, as we're starting to think about how to craft this new vision together, is how to have meaningful and thoughtful conversations with the health systems that help them recognize that they must play a part in this. Yeah. Um, every, every government, no matter if you're in the Western world or you're in an emerging market, everyone is going to have to fundamentally think differently about the kind of health care they want to deliver for their populations and what it's going to take to develop a system to get there. Um, whether that's thinking differently about digital health records and how they can be collected sort of longitudinally across a patient's life with immediate access for any healthcare provider anywhere in, in their country or the world to actually be able to get a, a 360 view on that patient. Um, telehealth, like what you mentioned earlier, to get into places where patients otherwise can't easily have access to or no access or, at or all. have no access yeah. Yeah. To, to, to modern care. Um, and, and artificial intelligence that can help physicians actually um, make better clinical decisions. I, I, I wish I could remember the exact statistic, but I heard something along the lines of the fact that if an oncologist today was to try and read every piece of information that came out on a daily basis about advances in oncology, they would need 28 hours in a day oh, to wow. sit and read. I mean, that is how quickly information is being generated. So if you think about your average oncologist who's treating you know, many, many different kinds of solid tumors and patients at many, many different stages of diseases, how they keep up to date on this information and how they remain informed is, is almost an impossible task that we're asking of people. And then imagining also that we only talk about data currently that is more the health and the disease exactly. related data just imagine what happens if we would look into some of the lifestyle data some of the mm -hmm. uh, genetic yeah. uh, rna protein whatsoever makeup of a person i mean this is going to explode it, yeah. it, it absolutely explodes and and you know patients are faced with the same overwhelming amount of information on their side um, Absolutely, And so, you know, getting to a place where technology enables us to streamline those decisions and, and make faster and better uh, point of care uh, determinations for those patients, um, I think is going to be pretty critical if we're really even going to begin to 
uh, take full advantage of the data that we already have. Now, interestingly enough, I came across another number that was put out also someone July, August this year from the UK, and they did have a look um, into the last 12 months of mm -hmm. what has been put into the Google engine uh, that is related to health. They found that more than 100 million of proper searches for diagnosing via that Dr. Mm -hmm. Google happened in the UK with being absolutely on the rise year by year. Um, I mean, th this is something that, that, that is naturally happening. And um, they correlate that in that study with uh, unavailability of doctors, yeah. uh, unavailability of the system yep. and sustainability mm -hmm. of the system, giving uh, an appointment when needed and not only three months from now. Mm -hmm. uh, so people will, will help them uh, themselves if needed. Absolutely. And I think we see that... Um, You know, the trend is that millennials go first yeah. to the Internet for, for all of their healthcare information. And so this is a, a very real trend that we need to be aware of. And the number one disease area that they are searching for mm -hmm. is psychiatric diseases. Yeah. Yeah? Um, and, well, not funnily enough, but sadly enough... Um, misinformation from the web Absolutely. is also furthering this, right? And, and people are getting, getting sick by searching for the wrong things yeah. and finding the wrong symptoms mm -hmm. and the wrong correlation. So we need to be cautious on, on how we as a society, but also as the professionals, Agreed. as we are in that space, handle that for, for, for society that is more detached from healthcare yeah. than we are. And, you know, I do think it's important for those of us who are in industry as much as we can to spend time in the world. And, you know, one of the things that I always loved when I was in the U.S. was going out and, and actually going to clinics and, and, and yeah. seeing physicians and, and really understanding what it is that they face every single day. Um, and it's not just the patient coming in. It's the patient coming in with a very well-intentioned son or daughter or, or husband or wife who feels very passionately about a particular course of action. And um, the amount of data out there is, is both wonderful and it can be dangerous. Um, as we're helping patients sort through things that are, are just fundamentally really, really hard. Venturing into that or moving into that new healthcare, um, I also had that conversation with Andreas and Torsten uh, the other times before, and we, we came to a conclusion that a lot of the stuff um, of the regulations, of the interoperability, of the standards, of what we trust, whom we trust, and, and, and what, what, what boundaries we need to set only can happen if people if organizations from across mm -hmm. the industry um, come together and converge around the interest, around the well-being of people. You also indicated new types of collaboration, mm -hmm. but would you also agree that more of a roundtable setting would be needed where um, relevant players from the traditional world, as well as from the, from the tech world and others, come together um, ironing out or first understanding what the big ticket questions mm -hmm. are to solve, what to go first and next, and then group around solutions that, that will be palatable for everyone? Or how do you see that? Is that ever going to happen or is that wishful thinking? If it's wishful thinking, then we're all in trouble. 100% of this solution is going to be found in a world where we are able to have very different kinds of conversations with each other and where we are able and willing to partner in ways that um, honestly put the patient and a better world in the center of it. Um, we are already working on 
dozens of partnerships in multiple countries to, to try and strengthen the healthcare infrastructure, um, increase the access uh, that patients have to life-changing medications, and to spread and to prevent the spread of chronic conditions. Um, a couple that, that I'm I'm most uh, excited about are the Access Accelerated Program, which has 22 pharma countries, including Roche, working uh, in partnership with the World Bank and the Union for International Cancer Control mm-hmm. to think about different ways to uh, uh, approach uh, oncolytic disease. And then the pandemic flu preparedness. Um, you know, Roche has, has been an active partner with WHO and uh, generic manufacturers in China, India, South Africa to improve pandemic awareness. Um, so there, there are so many opportunities for us to engage and do things differently, but it does require that everybody put aside a little bit of something that's really important to them mm-hmm. to come to the table for a different kind of solution. Um, and honestly, if, if we can't figure out how to do this, someone is going to figure it out for us yeah. and we're not going to like the result. I had discussions also with with people around that. If we are not quick enough, if we are not uh, in a position that we get our head around what is ethically relevant and what uh, what what not, right? Then um, we just need to to live with uh, realities that are written elsewhere. Yeah. yeah, and we will see countries with different sets of ethical standards that will just move ahead and and make uh, make things reality. And if they are right to help patients in need, if they are right to prevent. Mm-hmm diseases well then uh, then they advance science yeah. and advanced medicine right so we better get a he- our heads around uh, those questions also with our ethical standards i would assume Ab- absolutely Teresa, I think this has really been a very rich and comprehensive conversation and discussion that we had. Um, if you would say, what, what's the most intriguing bit for, for what's next in the future and, and the future of healthcare? What, what's, your, what's your key takeaway? So I think the thing that's actually going to be um, most interesting for me personally is to actually see how we can start working differently with governments. Okay. Um, and really thinking about how we can systemically make changes to the healthcare ecosystem in specific countries that will really materially change the outcome for patients in those in those places. Um, because I think it kind of knits all of the different pieces that we're talking about together. And we've got a couple of pilots going on in places that we're really excited about, Croatia being one of them, um, where we're really... Croatia, you Yes, okay. where we're really thinking about um, how we are, are looking from, you know, diagnostics to therapeutics to um, how, how drugs are paid for. Um, and we're, we're creating some really interesting models that I think will hopefully help Croatian patients, um, but also we'll learn a lot from about what we could be doing in terms of generating data and outcomes that will help us uh, make an impact in, in other countries as well. So, um, you know, I think that's that those kinds of partnerships, um, I'm really excited to see more of those and uh, to see what we can to see what we can make happen in the future. But that is super interesting that you mentioned Croatia because that that is not the the most prominent or dominant uh, healthcare market that we would have on on our minds, no. right? It's probably those countries where you can more easily or more with more freedom pilot things and, and try things and then learn from what is good there um, to, to spread that further out? Or uh, is that... Uh, because normally you would expect, well, it's the US, sure. it's probably China, it's probably Japan, it's probably one of the big five out of Europe. Yeah, But Croatia is not... Not where you would expect. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I think, uh, you know, ultimately the reason we, we ended up with that project is because they felt that their people deserved something better. 
and and that made them open to having a different kind of conversation um, with a company like Roche. Yeah. And so, you know, I give a lot of credit to, to that government for really just uh, envisioning and wanting something different for its people. No, interesting, because um, I've recently came also across a conversation where in emerging markets, they're thinking completely, completely different, differently, completely different. Yeah. They are thinking now in terms of, can we actually do a new model that we would call something like a a care for data mm -hmm. yeah, rather than a care for money yep. yeah, um, and, and bringing to those countries where you have a desperate need for help yeah, mm -hmm. uh, um, innovative medicine innovative diagnostics in return for, for, for data in order to advance science of course somewhere money needs to be earned because that needs to be also spent on, on R&D going forward but uh, it might be those countries that you, you don't have easily on your radar with the, 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 the traditional thinking and, and honestly those are the countries that have technological infrastructure structures that in some cases are are newer, yeah. more open uh, to these kinds of things where the governments aren't trying to unravel, you know, decades and decades of, of old health system thinking um, and where they have populations that are just sort of differentially because they're younger, they're they're potentially more interested and open um, to receiving their health care in these ways. And so, you know, I think uh, we benefit of our global scale. We have operations in most of these places and, and we're really able to um, to work individually within the country to really just figure out what what's going to be an appropriate solution. And our knowledge of those local markets helps us also really understand how how we can and can't work with them. And, and I think that's really important to sort of honor the, the local culture and, and the local uh, environments and realities. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So finally, we might see more pronounced focus on those emerging markets because they, they present themselves as sometimes being even more ready than, than the, the Western world yep. yeah, that has systems to change and transform rather than to build from scratch. Exactly right. Yeah. So um, summing up our conversation, I think, and let's do that together. Uh, I very much thank you for being open and transparent in sharing what personally drives you, yeah, your company, of course, and um, the, the emphasis that you put uh, with regard to the, the meaningfulness of large data sets and um, what you bring to market yeah, and, and to the To, to the game and to the play uh, when it comes to medical knowledge and, and science knowledge and, and market understanding, but also venturing in, 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 into partnerships uh, with, with potential tax, but also governments and other players um, to, to group around advancing health. Any last statement from your end in terms of what you, what you take away from that future of health, from the conversation that we had? For, for you, important to, to let yeah. our listeners, our yeah. joint listeners yep. know. So, I mean, I think that the, the one thing we haven't necessarily talked about is just uh, maybe as, as directly as we should have is that the, the speed is now. I mean, the time is now and speed yeah. is really going to be of the essence. The things that we as pharma might have thought as 10-year plans a couple of years ago are three-year plans, if not 18-month plans today. And it is just fundamentally going to require us to have a very different way of approaching our business to ensure that we're able to keep up with and take advantage of the advances in technology that are happening today. And if we can combine that with our deep commitment to science, our knowledge of the healthcare systems, I think our opportunity to be truly transformative in ways that will change, uh, as I said earlier, generations of lives. It's a really exciting time to be in this industry, and I'm looking forward to the future. Thank you, uh, Teresa. I couldn't agree more on that, and the time is now or never. Exactly. Uh, and we need to get moving. That's great. 
thanks very much uh, I, I really enjoyed that conversation and uh, I hope uh, our podcast listeners did as well if you're interested in finding more information of course very welcome to, to also visit our website download uh, the latest research from the uh, strategy end site and yeah thanks again for for making making time here today and um, yeah if you're interested in our next episode um, we are going to talk with a senior executive from the technology industry which will also shed some light on uh, what their perspectives are and their ambitions are within healthcare and mm -hmm. uh, what they think they will bring to the table that others from the more traditional side might not bring to the table so much. So stay tuned. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Strategy and strategy made real.